Hey, it's Alan, and I just wanted to let you know that you can now listen to the ongoing history of new music early and ad-free on Amazon Music, included with Prime. This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Forget the frustration of picking commerce platforms when you switch your business to Shopify, the global commerce platform that supercharges your selling wherever you sell. With Shopify, you'll harness the same intuitive features, trusted apps, and powerful analytics used by the world's leading brands. Sign up today for your $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash tech, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash tech. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. At the dawn of the 21st century, vinyl was dead. Not just dead, but dead, dead, dead. We were all going digital, and there was no point in keeping this ancient format. Vinyl records were dusty, scratchy, noisy. They took up too much storage space. They warped and got water damaged. But the biggest knock against vinyl was that it wasn't portable. MP3s were a brand new thing back then, And the idea of being able to carry around a thousand songs on a single device that could fit in your pocket was pretty sexy. While vinyl never went out of production, fewer and fewer records were manufactured. Pressing plants were shut down, and the machinery either sold off for parts or scrapped entirely. And if you happen to need a new turntable or cartridge, good luck. Just try and find one that was affordable. Two groups of people stood between vinyl and its extinction. Hardcore collectors, who never bought into all the digital promises, and DJs, who preferred spinning records instead of mixing CDs. But vinyl was doomed. It was. It was over. But then it wasn't. Starting in 2008, a weird thing happened. Like some zombie in one of those old Italian horror movies of the late 70s and early 80s, the format rose from the dead. And today, vinyl is doing something it hasn't done since the early 90s generating more revenue than compact discs. Now, the world still buys a lot more compact discs, but because vinyl sells at a premium, it brings in more money than CDs. Despite supply chain issues, shortages of polyvinyl chloride, backups of pressing plants, and higher and higher prices, more people are getting into vinyl every day. And that's why I thought it was time that we explored a few more stories about a format that just refuses to go away. This is the Ongoing History of New Music Podcast with Alan Cross. Hi there, I'm Alan Cross, and uh, I am a vinyl addict. I wasn't always this way. I strayed into digital formats for a long, long time. I bought CDs, I bought tracks from iTunes. I may have downloaded illegal files from Napster. I can tell you, though, that my turntable was in the crawl space, and I had no interest even looking at the vinyl that I still owned. And to be honest, it was only there in the basement because I was too lazy to throw it out. But like so many people, I had a road to Damascus moment. I saw the error of my ways. I bought a new turntable. I started going to record shows. I did the rounds whenever there was a record store day. When I traveled somewhere, I made sure that I had time to visit a couple of record stores that stocked vinyl. Now today, I don't buy CDs. 
If I want something digital, I'll go to iTunes or one of those sites that sell high-res files. When I lay down cash or the credit card, it is for vinyl. Vinyl's resurrection seems pretty permanent, and with that in mind, I thought we'd look at some random stories involving this old format. It dates back to 1948, and talk about what makes it cool and what makes it interesting. Plus, it'll give me a chance to play some of the records from my personal collection. And in case you're wondering, there's about 7,000 vinyl records on those shelves. Let's start with this question. Does vinyl really sound better than a compact disc? Oh, that's a dangerous thing to ask because the answer can be very emotional. But first, let's have a listen to an excellent vinyl record. It might not translate very well over the radio or through a podcast, but believe me, a vinyl version of Roxy Music's Avalon album sounds absolutely exquisite. To my ears, anyway. Would you have me dancing out in Recorded under analog conditions at Compass Point Studios in the Bahamas. Two-inch tape, probably running at 30 inches per second, and then lovingly transferred to vinyl. There's Roxy Music with the title track of their 1982 Avalon album. A great record to use when testing out audio equipment. Let's start with some technical talk, and I promise I won't get too far into the weeds. Vinyl is an analog format, which means it smoothly captures real-world sounds. The compact disc is digital. Using standards that were set in the 1970s, CDs break each second of music into 44,100 segments. To put it another way, it samples real-world sound at 44,100 times a second. There's also something called bit depth. CDs are manufactured with a bit depth of 16 bits. Again, without getting too complicated, a CD can store up to 65,536 levels of information. That, in turn, describe the dynamic range of the signal it is able to store. Another way of putting it is that bit depth measures how precisely these 44,100 samples were recorded. That means a standard compact disc is said to use 44.1 kilohertz 16-bit. Our ears can't hear all those individual signal samples, and 16 bits is great for the average person since our perception tends to end between 12 and 14 bits. There are other things involved, like something called the Nyquist frequency and bit rate, which is the number of bits that are recorded per second. Because all these numbers are bigger, a CD will always, always sound better than an MP3 to a person with proper ears. MP3s are compressed files with a lot of information removed. Our brains can actually tell that something is missing from an MP3 because it tries to fill in those gaps. That may explain why it feels better hearing the same song from a CD than it does from an mp3 all right fine but we still haven't answered the original question does vinyl sound better than a cd the answer is well that depends first your vinyl must be in good shape no dust no static electricity no wear the source material the music has to be recorded with care and to a high technical standard and you need to play the vinyl on a good turntable through a proper audio system second the mastering, the final tweaking of the recording in the studio, calls for a different approach with vinyl than it does with a CD. Okay, this is, this is really important. A lot of finished vinyl sounds warmer because that's the way it was mastered. 
A lot of CDs are mastered with way too much compression to make the music sound louder. This means the dynamic range is squished, and this in turn can result in clipping. That means the loudest bits end up being distorted, and this has become known as the loudness wars, compressing the crap out of a final mix just so the music seems louder coming off the CD. The two worst offenders for this are Metallica, especially with the St. Anger album from 2003, and also Death Magnetic from 2008, both of which, by the way, I find unlistenable. Oh, and then there's anything the Red Hot Chili Peppers have released since 1999. Here's an example of what I mean. You can hear the distortion flea's bass right off the top. That's how much this is compressed. Like I said, very distorted, very clipped. Other big offenders in the loudness wars are Green Day, the American Idiot album, What's the Story, Morning Glory from Oasis, and Echoes, Silence, Patience, and Grace from the Foo Fighters. Okay, back to whether vinyl sounds better than CDs. Vinyl recordings are very good at preserving the mid-range frequencies. That's where fuzzy rock guitars live, so they might sound better on vinyl to some people. At the same time, though, vinyl struggles with the really high highs and the really low lows. CDs excel at storing those frequencies. The warmth that we hear from vinyl, that in fact may be slightly distorted bass frequencies. Fourth, not all music sounds the same across a single vinyl record. As the stylus gets closer to the center, it traces a smaller and smaller circumference. The rate at which the stylus moves speeds up and it can't quite trace the groove as accurately as it did at the outer edges of the record, and this can result in degraded sound. Fifth, it may not matter if the original material for a vinyl record was recorded digitally. You just end up with an analog copy of a digital recording. However, if the whole chain, from the studio to the pressing of the record, stays analog, well, then there may be a noticeable difference. Number six, it depends on when a vinyl record was made. When CDs first came out, there was no question that they sounded better than the vinyl records that were coming out at the time. That's because the manufacturing quality of vinyl in the late 70s and early 80s was unmitigated crap. The raw polyvinyl chloride was garbage, often recycled with all kinds of impurities in it. Labels also skimped on the amount of vinyl used per record. Today, we buy 180-gram vinyl, which is nice and heavy. Back then, we would be lucky to buy an album that was 90 grams. This means that a record made in 1972 probably sounds a whole lot better than a piece of vinyl that was manufactured in 1979. Finally, you can buy CDs that have upgraded audio, a DVD version that comes in a box set, for example, or maybe a now hard-to-come-by Super Audio CD. These discs were recorded at a higher sampling rate and a higher bit rate, say 96 kilohertz, 24-bit, and they usually sound awesome, and, and I mean really, really awesome. So, does music sound better on vinyl than it does on CD? As a vinyl addict, I really hate to do this, but the answer is it depends. It depends on what you're listening to, how it was recorded, how it was mastered, what it's played back on, and your own ears. So really, just go with whatever sounds and feels better to you. God, that's wishy-washy. Time for another vinyl record from my library. I have so many old-school 12-inch singles, and many of them have never, ever made it to digital.
We'll continue with more of this round of viral stories in just a second. Your brain needs support. And new Ollie Brainy Chews are a delightful way to take care of your cognitive health. Made with scientifically backed ingredients like Thai ginger, L-theanine, and caffeine. Brainy Chews support healthy brain function and help you find your focus, stay chill, or get energized. Be kind to your mind and get these nootropic chews at ollie.com. That's O-L-L-Y dot These statements have not been evaluated by the Food and Drug Administration. This product is not intended to diagnose, treat, cure, or prevent any disease. Welcome back to another edition of Vinyl Talk. Stories, tips, and tricks for anyone who loves their music on flat, round discs of polyvinyl chloride. In fact, let's talk about that for a second. Polyvinyl chloride is plastic. It's the third most popular type of plastic ever. In addition to vinyl records, it's used for bottles, plastic cards like your credit card, electrical cable insulation, fake leather, flooring, windows, doors, inflatable products of all kinds, and plumbing products. In fact, it was first used in sewer pipes back in the 1920s. Most of the world's PVC comes from China and Southeast Asia. But with vinyl comes many problems for the planet. First of all, it's a fossil fuel byproduct. I don't think that needs any further explanation. Second, in its raw state, Polyvinyl chloride is brittle. It doesn't hold together very well and needs to be stabilized. It needs chemicals called plasticizers. And that, in the past, has included adding poisonous things like lead and cadmium. Carbon is added to make the normally white PVC black. And the third problem is that vinyl is plastic. And plastic is forever. It just doesn't decompose. And when old records are sent to landfills, those records stay there leaching out those hazardous chemicals for years, decades, centuries. The good news is that not a lot of vinyl ends up at the dump. People rarely throw away their collections, but they do. Oh, sure, you could melt them down, but that costs money. And you end up with hydrogen chloride, a very toxic gas. That's being phased out, but remains an environmental problem, given the billions and billions of vinyl records that have been produced since 1948. Back in the 70s, for example, a typical year would see 160 million kilos of PVC turned into records. Fear not, though, people are working on creating more eco-friendly vinyl records. There are a couple of pressing plants in Europe that approach being 99% carbon neutral in their manufacturing process. Other companies are working with recycled vinyl. That's not a new thing. I mean, recycled vinyl, like I said, was a big deal in the 1970s after the oil crisis. But like I said earlier, it was filled with impurities and just wasn't very good. Plus, we also have technology to do better and to do more interesting things. For example, a British singer named Nick Mulvey put out a record that was made from junk vinyl, garbage pulled from the ocean. Some people have been trying to find substitutes for pure PVC so that their records are biodegradable under certain conditions. There were even a couple of people who were experimenting with vinyl substitutes that are edible. And then there's Slightly Stupid. This is a band who experimented with pressing a record out of cannabis resin. The idea was that you'd listen to the record for a while and then melt it down and smoke it. It wasn't very practical. First of all, they needed $6,000 worth of resin to make one record. And when you put it on the turntable, it didn't sound very good, which is why they just ended up smoking the stuff. Oh, and they ended up releasing it on regular vinyl and digitally. The track is called Dabbington. Slightly Stupid, and a record that was pressed out of bubble hash resin. Only two copies were ever made, but it was an interesting experiment that was supposedly designed to help the planet in some sort of way. Sure. 
Since we're on the topic of the environment, what's better for the planet? Vinyl records and plastic CDs or streaming? The answer is, surprisingly, vinyl and CDs. Let's unpack this. Data generation and transmission of audio streams requires energy to power computers, servers, routers, and so on. Receiving this data also requires energy, even if it's just the battery in your phone. That energy's got to come from somewhere. A download of one song and a stream of that same song requires the same amount of energy. However, playing a downloaded song on your device afterwards requires far less energy than streaming it again. If all the songs we listened to were downloaded instead of streamed, it's estimated that there would be an 80% reduction in carbon emissions when it comes to consuming music digitally. Oh, and your phone battery would last longer, too. Our phones and laptops use twice the battery power to stream a song than they do to play a downloaded, a resident file. If you stream an album 27 times, it's actually better for the planet just to go ahead and buy a physical copy of it, be that a vinyl record or a CD. So how counterintuitive is that? So yeah, vinyl is cleaner than the cloud. So if you really want to help the environment, buy a record. Here's another 12-inch piece of vinyl from my library. The UK mix has appeared digitally elsewhere, but I kind of like the clicks, crackles, and pops in the original. One of the way artists and labels will entice fans to buy vinyl is to offer editions that come in different colors. Instead of the same old black, they'll issue versions that come in any number of colors, even multicolor Jackson Pollock-style splatters. Then we have picture discs. They have some kind of image sprayed delicately onto the vinyl. Any guesses who released the first picture disc? A few appeared in the UK in the early 1920s, but then Adolf Hitler released some picture discs of his speeches for the Hitler Youth back in the 1930s. The first modern-day picture disc was probably a compilation of bands like The Doors and the MC5, released by a German label called Metronome in 1969. Picture discs were a big deal in the late 70s and early 80s. I used to collect a lot of these things. And for a while, the big trend was to put interviews on these things. Here's a caution, though. Many of these records sound awful. In my experience, picture discs sound the worst followed by any record made with something that makes them glow in the dark. Records made with glitter or spattered colors can be dodgy. And then we have records released in the standard colors. Bottom line is that if you want a good audio experience with vinyl, stick with basic black. Here's one from my library that's kind of fun. Images can be used to create an optical illusion that's only available when it's rotating on a turntable. This is a British band called Fisher Z. The track is called The Worker, and a special picture disc for the single featured a train, something that's mentioned in the lyrics, going round and round and round. You had to put it on the turntable and stare at everything going around, but it was a cool effect. Yeah, that's obscure but fun. Fisher Z from 1979 with their Optical Illusion picture disc. That sort of thing continues today. There's a group called Eno and Hid who released a record called Someday World that shows some images that you view on your phone for an augmented reality experience. 
Jack White's Third Man Records loves to release special editions that feature two halves with some kind of wild-colored oil inside. There have been similar pressings that incorporate blood, hair, urine, marijuana leaves, razor blades, gunpowder, and even someone's cremated remains. A label called Romanus created a record for an Indianapolis band called Brother O Brother that doubled as a guitar pedal. And here's my favorite. A group called Emperor Yes released an album entitled An Island Called Earth in lots of 100 that were green, yellow, and orange. All of them were sprinkled with dust from an asteroid that crashed to Earth during the 16th century. This record from my library is not anything like that. In fact, it was pressed in the very early 80s, so chances are it's loaded with terrible toxic chemicals. Sounds good, though. It's an alternate version of Joy Division's Level Terrace Apart. Back with more nuggets about vinyl in a sec. Here are a few more things about vinyl that might just make listening to records a little more interesting. Check out these random notes. Vinyl can come in all sizes, 5 inches, 7 inches, 10 inches, 12 inches, even 16 inches. 9-inch nails, once released a record, 9 inches in diameter. But then there's this. Some Danes had a little fun with the Nanomade section at the Technical University of Denmark. Nanomade stands for Nanoscale Materials and Devices. They created the smallest vinyl, in quotes, record ever. Okay, it's, it's not made of polyvinyl chloride, but it does play like a full-size record, in stereo even. Capacity isn't great. Record runs just 25 seconds. And what's on it? Well, Brenda Lee's rocking around the Christmas tree. Okay, dubious, but okay. The hook here is that this record is just 15 micrometers across. You can't even see it. Let's move on. Starting in 2020, the world suffered a shortage of polyvinyl chloride because of supply chain issues during the pandemic. Yes, people were buying more records, mostly online. And yes, pressing plants were backed up for all sorts of reasons. But one of the drivers of this shortage was the demand for plastic containers for takeout restaurants. Let's segue to this. For years, Western records were banned in the Soviet Union. To get around that, enterprising music fans dove into the dumpsters around hospitals to retrieve old medical x-rays. Music was cut into the x-ray film at 78 RPM using old repurposed gramophones, and the hole was created by burning through the middle of this x-ray with a cigarette. The sound quality was horrible, but at the price of about one ruble, it was better than nothing. These black market recordings were known as ribs, ryobra in Russian, because you could still see the bones of someone in the film. And by the way, if you were caught with one back in the day, you could be sent to a gulag. Today, people collect these ribs, especially of songs by the Beatles, the Rolling Stones, Elvis, and the Beach Boys, as well as other Western artists. And you might have seen something called a flexi-disc. This is a recording pressed on a very thin, flexible sheet of vinyl, that can be included in the pages of a book or a magazine. Flexi-discs first appeared in 1962 and were known as the Evatone sound sheet. The Beatles loved these things. Between 1963 and 1969, they sent out special Christmas flexis to the fan club. In the 1970s, they showed up in a ton of magazines, from Mad Magazine to National Geographic. They were also popular inserts in music magazines. 
This song was originally supposed to be a flexi-disc for the NME. The Clash didn't think too much of this song, so eh, we'll give it away. But for some reason, the deal with the NME fell through, so The Clash found themselves with an extra song for their London Calling album. So, at the last second, they just decided to stick it on the record right at the end. But this was after all the jackets had been printed up, so it went unlisted. But then, the song was selected for a single, and to everyone's surprise, this song, which was initially a throwaway, ended up becoming The Clash's most commercially successful track. Clash with a song that was originally destined as a free flexi-disc in the pages of the NME. I think they were glad to have that one back. If you're looking to collect flexis, they are still being made. They sometimes show up on Record Store Day. The Foo Fighters have released at least one, and a lot of punk bands love them too. And then there's this. In 1988, McDonald's had a contest involving a flexi-disc where the grand prize was a million dollars. It featured some school kids singing something called the Menu Song. And if your flexi featured the class singing the whole song, you won. Chances of winning were about 1 in 80 million. And the winner ended up being a 13-year-old kid from Virginia who found it in a pile of newspapers he was planning to set on fire. Here's a few more. The plural of vinyl is like the plural of deer. You have a single deer named Bambi or whatever. And you also had a herd of deer, not deers. You also have a piece of vinyl, a single record, and also a collection of vinyl. Some people think that they can say vinyls. Do not do that, especially in public, especially if you're shopping for records. It will just unmask you as a newbie. So trust me on this one. I'm saving you a great deal of grief and embarrassment. And finally, should you buy new vinyl or used vinyl? Again, I got to say, it depends. Be very careful buying vinyl that was pressed in the mid to late 70s and early 1980s. Manufacturing quality, and I can't overemphasize this enough, was terrible during that period. The only exceptions might be, one, so-called audiophile editions, which were made with much more care using virgin vinyl. That meant no recycled garbage PVC. And two, if the record was made before 1972, think about it. Be careful, too, with records made in the 80s and 90s. It's very possible that they're reissues that were just taken straight from the CD. They were not mastered properly for vinyl. They generally do not sound good. Since about 2008, buying new vinyl has come with less of a risk. The vinyl is virgin, and the records tend to be nice and heavy, with each disc weighing 180, 200, or even 220 grams each. The advantage here is that they don't warp easily. They sit nice and flat on the turntable, and the stylus is able to track the grooves more accurately. And that could, could, result in better sound, depending on the source material and the turntable you're playing it on. I uh, have a new record here. I haven't opened it yet. This is Dirt from Alice in Chains. I see that it was remastered from the original audio. And based on when this was made and the studios used, let's check the liner notes. I think it was recorded on analog tape and not digitally. So it's possible that this is a full end-to-end -end analog production. Can't be sure, uh, but there's a good chance. Okay. Looking inside, the album is broken into two halves. There are three songs on each of the four sides. Sometimes that means you have to play the record at 45 RPM. Uh, my copy of Daft Punk's Random Access Memories is like this. But in this case, you can leave the speed at 33. 
Wow, these uh, these records are heavy. Let's put this on the turntable here in the studio. And in case you're wondering, I'm using a Techniques SL1200, one of the greatest turntables ever. The cartridge is an Ortofone Red. Preamp is on. Let's go with side one, track one. Very nice. Since vinyl has started its comeback in 2008, it doesn't show any sign of slowing down. Older music fans continue to be the major buyers, but we're also seeing a lot of interest, and I mean a lot, by millennials and Gen Z music fans. This has led to an upswing in the purchase of turntables and all manner of audio gear as people crave a deeper and better sounding music experience. We're actually going back to the 70s and 80s when people used to spend huge amounts of money on stereo equipment, something that honestly does my heart some good. How long can this current love affair with vinyl continue? Not sure, but it certainly is fun while it lasts. My website is a journal of musical things.com. It's updated every single day. There's the free daily newsletter. I would sign up for it. I'm on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and even TikTok. And if you happen to have any questions about vinyl, send them to me through alan at alancross.ca, and we'll do another show like this in the future. Technical Productions by Rob Johnston. Talk to you soon. I'm Alan Cross. You've been listening to the Ongoing History of New Music podcast with Alan Cross. Subscribe to the podcast through iTunes, Google Play, Stitcher, Spotify, and everywhere you find your favorite podcasts.